Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. I'd like to welcome right now to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Grace Reacher. Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You have a new book out in stores titled Abandoned But Not Alone, a true story about the pain of abandonment and how to find hope, healing, and happiness. Grace, can you tell me about the book? Yes, I'm very excited to share this book with everybody about this little girl's experience of abandonment. She had a fairy tale life as a little girl and thought she had the perfect family and perfect life. And then one day, while she wasn't looking, her family fell apart and it crushed her. And her mother worked tirelessly while dealing with her own struggles to try to help Grace through this situation. And over a few years of Gracie trying to figure out how to live life without her father, whom she adored, he comes back into the picture and wants to marry again and be a part of the family. Then Gracie has decided in her mind She is 10 years old, and she is determined that she is going to make her father so happy that he will never leave them again. And through a course of events, she being someone who liked to help others and encourage others, brought a woman and a little girl that she went to school with into their life. And the little girl was not nice to Gracie and bullied her at school, but when she came to school one day, she was really unhappy, and Gracie's heart couldn't help but reach out. She found out that the girl's stepfather had died in a car wreck, and her mom needed a job, or they were going to lose everything. Mm -hmm. So Gracie talks to her mom and tries to get her to give her a job so they can help them out, and they started having the mother, the girl, and her little brother over for dinner and doing family things together, and Gracie was helping. Her mom was helping, not knowing that there were things going on behind the scenes, and suddenly the little girl starts being mean to her at school again, and they stop coming to dinner. Her mom and her brother were going to take them dinner one night, and Gracie's dad called and said the woman knew that she was coming over to bring dinner, and he knew because they were having an affair, and he loved her, and he was leaving again, Mm -hmm. and Gracie thought it was all her fault. But this is a true story of a little girl who was affected by abandonment and how that abandonment shaped all her relationships 
for many, many years, and she thought she was all alone and was constantly looking for ways to be loved, accepted, included, wanted, and she found healing along the way. And it's an inspiring story. It's not a sad story, Mm. but it gives people hope who are going through the same thing that feel rejected, neglected, unwanted, unloved, abandoned and experience extreme pain and grief from that, this book will give them hope on how to find healing the same way that Gracie did. Grace, I can imagine that the moment you got your first physical copy in and you got to hold this, it was probably a very emotional time for you. Am I right? Yes. I was amazed, first of all, that the publisher wanted my book, that anybody would want to hear what I had to say because Gracie grew up with no self-esteem or self-confidence. So to have a book about her life story in my hand for people to read and encourage others, I was speechless. Mm. It was an amazing, amazing moment. I know a lot of people are going to get some hope and encouragement out of this book, and I encourage everybody listening to go check it out. It's titled Abandoned But Not Alone, a true story about the pain of abandonment and how to find hope, healing, and happiness. This is written by Grace Reacher. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and of course you can get it anywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Grace, thanks again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Me too. Thanks for having me. God bless you. Ms. Ruby Takes a Walk in the Park. It's the new children's book. It just hit stores, written by Tony Gilmer. And Tony is sitting right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about this book. Tony, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Tony, what can readers expect in Ms. Ruby Takes a Walk in the Park? It's full of animation, lots of animals, and most importantly, it's got a really important lesson in the book. So that's, I would be looking for that lesson. What ages of children do you think would get the most out of this, Tony? I would say any child between like four and maybe seven. And how did the idea for this come about? How were you inspired to write the story? It's really strange, but I was in the shower. And I just felt inside, you're going to write a book. And then I thought, my head thought, no, you're not going to write a book. You don't even like that writing. You like reading. And I just, as time went on, I just felt in my heart that that's what I was to do. And there's important messages that that we need to get out to the kids. Mm -hmm. And if we can change one child and they teach their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids, Before you know it, you have a generation that's learning about our words. So this is your first published book then, Tony? Yes, it is. Congratulations. Did this take you forever to do then? It just took a few months. It wasn't too bad. And when you got the first copy in, that physical one, after all that hard work, Tony, what was that moment like for you? It was very surreal. Before, I had a hard time saying or picturing myself as an author. But when I got the book, I thought, I really am an author. And... I'm so proud of it. It's just a great work. And pictures and everything, I'm very proud of the book. And when it came to the illustrations, you know, it's something that you've got to think hard about when it comes to children's books. What kind of a process was that for you, Tony? I just knew the way the story goes and what I wanted in those spots. There's just a lot of scenarios in here that are important and that I want the kids to know. 
Have you thought about maybe a sequel to Ms. Ruby or maybe some other kind of writing ahead of you? I haven't thought of a sequel, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. There is another book that'll be out this year, and I'm just as excited. It's hard to go about this kind of thing alone. Uh, Did you have people who knew you were writing a book and they could be there to kind of back you up and encourage you along the way? I did. I have four children, four sons, and they were very supportive, and my husband's been amazing. I probably couldn't have done it without him. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of writing and publishing for the first time, Tony. Do you have any words of wisdom now that you could offer to those listening now who are just starting out? I would say don't give up. If it's in your heart and you want to write a book, I would write it, you know, and then see if you can get it published. Like I said, I would have never, never have dreamt that I would be doing what I am today. But I love it. It's become a passion. Tony, once you started writing Ms. Ruby Takes a Walk in the Park, was it easy for you to go from start to finish, or did you get writer's block or maybe challenges like that along the way? No, it was easy. I didn't have a title for a long time, but the book itself, because I knew what kind of book I wanted to write, it wasn't bad. You know, I wanted to make sure that message was in there. It can change lives. The adults read it to their kids. It can change adults, too. Those that didn't understand that their words are powerful. So I would say adults can enjoy it just as well. Writing a book is a lot of hard work, which you surely know, Tony. What's the most rewarding aspect for you now of being a published author? I think when I hear family, like my husband's family, tell me how much they love the book. Mm. His whole family's been supportive. And it's just, it feels good when somebody reads it and says, wow, that was good. That message is great. It just, it really blesses me, you know, and I think, well, I did it for a reason, and there must be the reason. A moment ago, you mentioned how you love to read, Tony, which often a lot of writers are also big readers, so it makes sense that you took that step into writing. What kinds of books do you find yourself getting lost in? Usually Christian books on just the different subjects. That's typically where I land. I know a lot of children and families are going to love this book, and I encourage those listening out there to go out and check it out. It's titled, Ms. Ruby Takes a Walk in the Park. This is written by Tony Gilmer and is published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can find it anywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Tony, it's been great talking with you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. The book we're talking about right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is written by John Peters, M.D. It's called A Little Pain Never Hurt Nobody, an MD's unorthodox life in the Colorado Rockies. And his daughter, Mandy, is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable to tell me all about the book and about her father's legacy. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much. The book, A Little Pain Never Hurt Nobody. Can you tell me, first of all, what readers can expect here? What story is being told? This is a compilation of short stories of when my father was a physician in remote wilderness of Colorado, the patients he served, the connections he made, and the unusual circumstances he and his patients found themselves in. Hmm. Of course, this was written by your father, but unfortunately, he passed away before he was able to get it published. So, Mandy, can you tell me about the process of taking what he wrote and putting it through the publishing process? Yeah, so fortunately, he was able to draft the manuscript and get it through the editing process with Christian Faith Publishing before his demise. And so 
really after that process, it was just working with them on the cover art and the little aspects of getting the book out to the public. Mm. So he did all the hard work, and it's definitely his writing that is in that published work. When it comes to publishing and things like that, Mandy, do you have any experience with it? No, I do not. Wow. What did you find the most challenging part, Mandy, about publishing? So I believe it was just making sure that the intent of his stories and everything matched up with the publishing group that he went with. He was an unorthodox fellow, so we had to modify some of his stories to ensure it was appropriate for the intended audience with that publisher. But I think what it did was help create a more well-rounded collection of stories and really put some themes throughout that really help it all come together. Mm. When you think about the target audience here, Mandy, the kind of people that your father was writing for, who would that be? A wide range of readership, people who enjoy short stories, histories of the West, comedy, or contemplating life when it was simpler, and the medical profession was less about data collection and more about treating the person in their totality. Mm. And I could only imagine, Mandy, that day that you got the first physical copy of this book in, you got to look at it and hold it for the first time. What was that like for you? It was bittersweet for me because mm. my father wasn't able to hold it himself. He knew it was going to be published, but he just didn't have it in his hands. And so it was heartening to know that, you know, his lifelong dream of being a published author had come to fruition. But it was also bittersweet that he couldn't share that with us in person. When you think about things like the cover, what kind of thought went into that? So he had actually sketched that out before he passed. It was just trying to stay true to his vision. The cover depicts something that he did frequently, which was try to land his little twin engine Comanche onto a paved highway road that was only lit by vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> so it tried to encapsulate kind of the danger and the intrigue of his work there in the remote wilderness of Colorado. Wow. Mandy, I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of publishing for the first time. Do you have any advice to those listening who are about to do the same thing? Just keep at it. My father went through various submissions to different publishers and just happened that this one had come along and it was the right fit and they enjoyed his work. Mm. So just keep trying. You never know when that break will happen for you. And was your father a prolific writer? Did he like to write a lot? Yes, he wrote very frequently, all handwritten. So deciphering his writing is sometimes a challenge. <laughs> but he wrote mostly of his past experiences. He did a lot of humanitarian work in war-torn countries, the civil wars in Central America. He had gone to Afghanistan several times. So he focused his writing on his experiences. And this first work of his was focused on his time in Colorado. Well, I encourage everybody who's listening right now to check this book out. It's titled, A Little Pain Never Hurt Nobody, An MD's Unorthodox Life in the Colorado Rockies. This is written by John Peters, MD, and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can grab it up everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me tonight and telling me about your father's work. I, I had a great time talking with you. Thank you so much. Sitting right by me here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Margaret Pogen. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Well, it's really exciting. You have a new book out. It's titled Faith, Hope, and Joy, 
The Weapons on Our Belt of Truth. So, Margaret, can you tell me what this book's all about? Well, this book was started actually when my husband and I were preaching to the persecuted church in India. When I got home, I started, you know, God just kept highlighting scripture to me. And pretty soon I had a huge pile of little scraps of paper with notes on it and stuff. And I realized God was giving me basically the book. So I started writing it because I wanted to share the things that I have learned over the years and the experiences that I have walked through to help other people and to encourage them to not give up and to realize how much God loves them and how many tools that we don't even think of as tools that he has given us to fight the enemy so that we can be victorious. When I first got saved, I got kind of shoved into the deep end of the pool and wound up in a lot of spiritual warfare fairly quickly and had no idea what I was doing. But fortunately, God gave me a couple of people that mentored me sort of through that time period. And if anybody can learn anything from the things I've gone through, I would be glad to share them and help somebody else gain the victory. Were you writing for a certain group of readers here, Margaret? Originally, I was writing for the pastors in the persecuted church because a lot of them don't have full access to the Bible. Hmm. Some of them don't even have a Bible. And so the book is kind of packed with a lot of scripture so that I can verify and prove what I'm saying to them. Then it kind of morphed into anybody that's discouraged. And anybody that's praying has been praying for a long time for something to happen. And they get discouraged because it seems like their prayers are hitting a brass heaven over them and just falling down to the ground. And I want to just say, don't quit. Sounds like something like this might have taken you a long time to put together, Margaret. Was that the case? The book itself, to write it, was actually the easiest part. Like I said, I had the scraps of paper building up for probably a year, and then when I sat down and organized it on the dining room table, it fell pretty much into the chapters pretty quickly. And I think it took me maybe three to five days per chapter to write it. Hmm. And then, of course, the tedious job of proofreading it over and over and (laughs) over and over again. And handing it to some friends to read it and give me their feedback and a couple pastors and And the hardest part was actually getting it published. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get it published for years and years because I wrote it in 2013, 2014 area and just got it finally published. Last year, I discovered Covenant Books and they submitted it to them and they agreed to publish it. This book was a long time coming, Margaret. What was it like when you finally got that first physical copy and you finally got to hold this thing for the first time? It was just unbelievable. It was awesome. When they agreed to publish it, I cried because all the years I had sent it off to publishers in the past, even had some friends who had published books some pastors tell me, call this company. I've already talked to them. And then I just would get nothing from them. I mean, really, it was like every single door was closed and I would lose sleep at night over it. I got I to gotta get this book published, but it's all in God's timing. Would you do it again, Margaret? Do you think you'll be writing more in the future? Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I have a couple ideas rolling around in my head, but I don't know how I'd make them into a book at this point in time. But yeah, I would do it again. I like the process. What would you tell the people listening out there who are just starting out in writing and publishing? What advice could you give them? Be humble. (laughs) Mm. Take feedback. Let pride of authorship die fairly fast, you know, and give it to friends and say, be honest with me you know, give me feedback. And, you know, you can accept or reject the feedback after you get it. But if you give it to a wide slice of your friends, 
then you're probably going to get some good feedback out of that as to what they think of the book or, you know, what how you can improve it and things like that. You know, Bible says plans succeed with the counsel of many. So well, I know a lot of readers out there are going to get a lot out of this book. It's going to bless a lot of people. So I encourage my listeners to go and check this out. It's titled Faith, Hope and Joy, The Weapons on Our Belt of Truth. This is written by Margaret Pogen. And it's published by Covenant Books, and of course you can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Margaret, I really enjoyed having you on the show tonight. Thank you again for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was fun. There's a new novel out in stores now. It's a sequel. It's written by Kendall D. Gott. It's titled Gone to Kansas, 1856, Fire and Tribulation. The sequel to Gone to Kansas 1855, a historical novel. Kendall's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to talk all about the book. Kendall, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here tonight. Well, thank you, Corey. Good to be here. It's so exciting when you have a new book out. Kendall, can you tell me what people can expect when they open up Gone to Kansas 1856, Fire and Tribulation? Well, being a sequel, it can be a standalone, but of course, I'd like you to read the first one first. But what I can expect of this is a continuation of a story of a, a young man that came out of St. Louis, broken family in the mid-1850s, moved out, found his way to the West and Kansas Territory. And he has assorted adventures with historical figures, historical events. The history in this book is real. I use the character to tell the story of the early days of Kansas territorial times. It's action-packed. It has a little comedy in there. It has about a little something for everybody, I think. And when it comes to this book and the first one, Kendall, what inspired you to write it? Where'd you get the idea for the story? Well, long story short, I retired five years ago, and I still had a lot of stories to tell. Mm. What inspired this particular one was I wanted to, instead of talking about far-flung places, I wanted something closer to home. I live in Kansas, and I uh, wanted to, one, I have an interest in it. Two, is it simplifies many things like research and visiting the sites where these events take place. It's much easier for me to do that when it's close to home as it would be if I did something about California or Florida or something. Mm. The weather's nicer, but it's a longer <laughs> drive. Now, considering all the history, the research involved in this, Kendall, did this take you a long time to put together? Well, the research, probably probably about a year. It's a subject I'm familiar with. So the challenge was is just not the broad story. That's easy. But to find through newspapers or other primary research additional stories, something of interest that would bring information out that would normally not be available to the general reader if you open a book on the history of Kansas, some of these stories might not be in there. These are, you know, they're just harder to find. They're not as well known. Now, Kendall, you're writing in a setting that's over 150 years in the past. Was that difficult to write and make readers believe that they're actually there? Well, yeah, it is to a point. I mean, people are far more straightforward back then. If they told you something, they told you straight up. There wasn't a whole lot of playing around with words. When you look at their letters and uh, how they describe things, on the other hand, some of their language, you can see where they're trying to write above their education, you know, where they're trying to use big words and, you know, the spelling's not quite right. But it doesn't take all that much imagination because people are people. Whether you lived in the 1850s or the 21st century we're in, people are people. People react about the same. But I was trying to write in the style of language that they used back then. But I had to take care I didn't overdo it because the average reader might not be able to follow. Right. 
by using various slang that's just, you know, long gone, incomprehensible to us now. If I called you a Jasper, would you take that as a good thing or a bad thing? Sounds all right to me. Well, it's it was a, a big insult. <laughs> you know, if we were buddies and I called you a Jasper, you'd just roll out your back. But if we were strangers and I came up and put my finger in your face and called you Jasper, that would get a big reaction. So oh, wow. just a small, a small example of having to balance the writing so the modern reader could read and understand it. Mm. What are the chances that this will become a trilogy, Kendall? Are you thinking about maybe a follow-up to this one or maybe some other kind of writing ahead of you? Good question. I have the notes and the story in my mind to take this story through 1857, which would be the third book in this series. And I could theoretically go forward and probably end it at the Civil War at some point. Hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of mulling with it. I have another set of books on steamboating during the Civil War and just after. I think about maybe a trilogy with that or just kind of break out altogether and do something completely new. I'm mulling here and I'm not sure what direction I'm going to go. Hmm. I think a lot of readers are really going to be into this book, and the first one as well, and I encourage them to go seek these out. The title of this is Gone to Kansas, 1856, Fire and Tribulation, the sequel to Gone to Kansas, 1855, a historical novel. These are written by Kendall D. Gott and published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can find it everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, it's been great having you on the show tonight, Kendall. Thanks a lot for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me. Here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting right next to author Alan Withers. Alan, thanks for joining me here tonight. Thank you for inviting me. It's really exciting. You have a new book out called A Guiding Light to the Future. So, Alan, can you tell me about the book? Okay, this is the most mind-expanding book that I think has ever been written. It takes one from first principles about light in its physical manifestation and also in its spiritual manifestation. It helps us understand certain basic ideas that govern our lives in a more positive way, ideas which will help us understand the life experience. The only way I can prove this is probably is present time is through those who've had a near-death experience and have always seemed to come back with a similar idea as that they look down on their physical body and realize they are very much still alive and they're composed of light, a higher spiritual light, and their physical body is just something that they use this lifetime. So I think we're beginning to be more ready for these new understandings to help us forward as science expands in so many different areas, I think needs to be a much more ready acceptance of some of these new spiritual ideas that are coming to us. Hmm. Fascinating, Alan. You got to tell me, how did the idea come about for this? How are you inspired to write? Well, it seems to be something I've been interested in my whole lifetime. And from a very early age, I started writing books going more into metaphysical ideas of understanding life. And it's taken me through a very interesting experience of life, um, visiting many different groups. And I've been lucky to be guided to areas that seem to have a similar theme running through them all the time. I think it's about time. I think we're in a crisis of understanding of what life is really about this time on on the planet. There just seems to be so many different areas that are coming together of a crisis of understanding. 
And instead of having divisive ways of trying to solve this, I want us to have a more spiritual way of seeing each other more as brothers and sisters than someone who has an idea that I don't like and I don't want anything to do with them. If we go to our higher selves, then we'll have a better understanding of who we truly are. Mm. How long of a journey was this for you, Alan, from when you first sat down, started writing those first few words up until it hit stores? <laughs> first started to put my ideas down about 10 years ago, and I looked at it and I thought, well, I know this is interesting, but I'm not sure it's quite ready to let people out there read it. So mm. I've been trying to think a bit deeper and push myself more deeper into meditation and get higher ideas, which I think will be more attractive to people. So it's last two years, really, I've been able to put this down in writing and uh, hope that other people will also be excited by it. Mm. Is this your first foray into the world of writing and publishing? Yeah, yeah. As I said, I, I've tried different times to do writing. It never seems quite the right time. So probably now that I'm in my more senior years, <laughs> I can finally sit back and reflect on life and put it down. Well, I could imagine that when that day came, Alan, and you got that first hard copy in of A Guiding Light to the Future, and you got to hold this thing you've been working on and thinking about all those years, what was that moment like? It's just incredible. I never thought I would be able to do it. Mm. <laughs> it was suddenly, it was like a pressure coming to me that, you know, you've got to put this down. You've got to put this down. So mm. finally, I started sitting down and it seemed to flow quite naturally. Mm. Do you think you have more books in you, Alan? Do you think you might be doing this again in the future? Yes, I think that I can do a trilogy. And mm. this is the first book. And this is sort of a basic, concise idea, which will help to understand the second book which is more about the great shift we need to go to at this time. I think that we are definitely out in, of alignment with nature, and nature is very forcefully beginning to tell us that we've got to change the way we live on this planet. Mm. And I can see that this will help us in getting to those ideas. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this book and discover a lot about themselves when they read this book. It's titled A Guiding Light to the Future. It's written by Alan Withers. It's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and also Google Play. Well, Alan, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about this really fascinating book. I had a nice time chatting tonight. Great. Thanks. Love telling you about it. Right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting right next to author Charles Boudet. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to have you. You have a new book out in stores titled Stone Angel. Charles, what's this book all about? It's a love story is what it is. It's a man and a woman that meet under extraordinary circumstances. We follow them together for about a year and watch their relationship develop. What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? Really, I, I, there's not that many men that'll admit that they like romance novels, but <laughs> a lot of them do, you know? Mm -hmm. So women, of course, Anyone over like 20, there's some vulgarity, there's a little bit of violence, but not, you know, nothing gratuitous. It's mostly about affection, feelings, loyalty, such as that. Hmm. How did you get the idea for this story, Charles? Well, it's crazy. I was watching a documentary about out-of-control paparazzi in Hollywood, how they hound and stalk and sometimes even hold celebrities hostage, hmm. you know, while they take their photographs. There's an iconic picture of Horace Hilton 
trying to leave a parking lot at night uh, with a young male driver, and they surrounded by photographers who just kept flashing and wouldn't let them leave. And I realized that, you know, it wasn't about pictures anymore. Now it was about power. Sarah Jessica Parker in this documentary said there's nothing can be done about this. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, sure there is, you know. So I just came up with the concept of a company that protects these people in their own special way. Interesting. Charles, when it comes to writing and being published and all that, have you ever done it before? Well, I retired about 15 years ago, and my wife pretty much you know, told me, you better get a hobby, pal, because you're not going to be hanging around the bars. <laughs> so I started writing, and um, I've read a lot of short stories. I have a couple of manuscripts laying around. This book here is probably the only one I'm really proud of. I like this book, and I'm my biggest critic. So I spent about a year writing it and a couple of years massaging it. And finally, my wife was getting tired. She goes, listen, you need to get this thing published or burn it because I'm tired of these daily readings. <laughs> and all that went. And, it, you know, it, it falls in books. I take my hat off to them. They've done a nice job. They were easy to work with. I'm very pleased. I don't know if you're looking at the cover of it, mm-hmm. but the cover blew me away. I, I had a concept. I gave them my thoughts. They did the exact opposite. And it's 100 times better than I want. <laughs> Uh, what was that moment like for you then, Charles, when you got the first physical copy of Stone Angel and you got to hold this thing that you've been working on? Well, it was a good feeling, you know, a feeling of accomplishment. But to tell you the truth, it also came with a little bit of dread, you know. I mean, mm. I hope it didn't bomb or, you know, be worse being an atomic bomb. I mean, I, I didn't write this to make money. I don't think too many people write books to make money unless their name was King or Patterson. <laughs> but there's an investment here, and I'd just like to get that money back. Everybody that's read it so far that's gotten back to me really likes it, and I really believe them. Uh, so, you know, if I get my investment back, fine. In the meantime, I'm just happy that a lot of people are pleased with what I wrote. Hmm. Have you given any thought to maybe a sequel to this or some other kind of writing in the future? Well, I tell you the truth, I'm about 15 chapters into a sequel. Hmm. It's getting a little mired, you know. Anybody that reads Stone Angel will probably finish and say, how in the world can they make a sequel to this? <laughs> But I've got some ideas, you know, I'm working on something else. You know, there'll be something, I'll be moving something ahead most likely in the next year. Yeah, sometimes the writing process can be kind of choppy, you know. Sometimes you'll be writing and the words are flowing out and it's real easy. But you know, sometimes you get writer's block and nothing's coming out. So, Charles, do you get stuff like that? And then how do you get through those challenges? Of course, you know, I mean, I uh, watched this movie about Truman Capote one time, and I'm watching this, the actor who, I, I forget his name, but the wonderful actor, he passed away, who sat with his typewriter and just wrote one page or another page or another page. I was like, who can do that? I actually started with the concept of this protection company, and I worked a story around it. So basically, I started the story in the middle. So it's not exactly a good method. I don't like suggest anybody copy what I do, but that's what works for me. So what advice, Charles, would you have for listeners out there who are the authors or just starting out in this whole thing? Patience. You know, write what makes you, you, know, you feel passionate about and just be patient. Put one word after another, but just be patient. It's a long haul. Absolutely. Well, I think a lot of people will really be into this book and should go check it out. The title is Stone Angel. It's written by Charles Boudet. It is published by Fulton Books. And you can get it everywhere, of course, like on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Charles, thank you again for joining me here on the show, telling me about Stone Angel and everything that you're doing. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. The Quill Conspiracy. That's the title of the new book, Just Hit Store Shelves. It's written by Joseph R. Mullen. And Joseph is sitting right beside me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about this book. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. 
Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Joseph, could you tell me all about the Quill Conspiracy? What can readers expect here? The Quill Conspiracy is a science fiction adventure. It takes place in the future. There has been a war between Earth and an alien race. Earth has managed to push the aliens back to just beyond Saturn and then set up a series of forts between Jupiter and Saturn. And occasionally they'll send a fighter around to the backside of Saturn to see what's going on back there. But only the fighter comes back and not the pilot. Hmm. But now the war has gone cold for roughly two decades. The quill have gone home. The alien race, the quill. They've gone home. There's nothing to fear out there anymore. So what they start doing is retiring, forced retirement, if you will, the top people in Earth Force, including the top strategists who help drive them back. And then a general who was appointed by the Earth president. And then they start moving battleships and fighters out of the front lines and to the rear. And then in the midst of all this, the vice president of Earth passes away. So now it becomes, you know, is it just a series of coincidences that this is all happening? Or is there a traitor in Earth Force itself? Mm-hmm. And people who are loyal to the top strategist, a guy by the name of Carl Craig, are trying to find him, seek him out, get him back into the fold of Earth Force. But he's gone into hiding on Earth, and nobody can seem to find him. Oh, then I almost forgot the one important step. There is a cruise liner that suddenly shows up at the forts. Huh. Somebody has taken a cruise ship, which they used to do before the war, And they would go out just to Saturn, turn around, and come back. Well, this cruise liner went out, and an alien weapon came up from Saturn itself and fired at it and killed thousands of people. So now this thing is sitting there, and everybody has to figure out how to eliminate the new threat that nobody has ever seen before. And that's basically the whole gist of the story. Wow, what a ride. Joseph, how'd you get the idea for this? Where did the idea for the story come from? Well, the whole thing started with just the line, the war came, the war that nobody wanted, the war that everybody saw coming. And then it went from there. And while I was writing it, I was thinking of my next story, which would have been some kind of a disaster in space. Being a child of the early 1970s, you saw all these disaster movies, The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake. And I figured, well, let's take one of them and we'll just move it out into space. And then as I was writing the story, I'm like, well, Why don't I just incorporate it here? Save a little bit of time, just put a little disaster in there, and we'll go from there. I love it. That's how that all happened. Wow. Have you ever done anything like this before? Have you ever written or been published? I have one other book that's published. It's called Fork Cowboys, which is a paranormal western. And about how long did it take you to write The Quill Conspiracy from beginning to end? Amazingly, The Quill Conspiracy came very quick, and it took less than five months to write the whole thing. Oh, wow. And once you got that physical copy in, and you got to hold this book you've been working on all that time, what was that moment like for you, Joseph? Oh, it was fascinating. I'd always wanted to be a writer, you know, but life kind of got in the way. (laughs) (laughs) And I just recently retired, and my wife said, well, go ahead, start writing again. We'll see where it goes, and if, if it looks good, if it reads good, we'll see about getting it published. Hmm. What are the chances of a sequel to The Quill Conspiracy? I hadn't planned on one for that one. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to say I had not planned on that one for that one. <laughs> I do have other stories that I've written. There's actually one out on the Internet on Wattpad.com called The Green Haunting. 
Now that I plan on making into a series of stories. Mm, wonderful. I know a lot of readers are really going to love this book, and I think you ought to check it out. It's called The Quill Conspiracy. It's written by Joseph R. Mullen. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Joseph, it's been great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show and telling me about everything you're doing. It's been a pleasure talking with you, too. The book I'm looking at now reminds readers that their friends are the gold in life. The title is, So Who's in Your Circle? You know over 600 people. Find your 25 friends who matter most. It's written by Mark Lasick, and I'm really happy that Mark is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about this book. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Corey. I'm glad to be on. Well, it's great to have you. Mark, tell me all about this book. So who's in your circle? Well, it came up as a business idea years ago when I had a mentor that said, if you have a company or startup company, make sure that you touch each one of your people in some way each day. Like, you know, Jane, how did your son do that at his baseball game? Bill, come, can you stop by and look at my creative and see, just engage in some way. Hmm. And I started a company with another partner called the LASIK Group, and we applied that mantra of trying to make everyone feel like they're a part of the family. And we grew it into a 200-person company, and it was a very successful company based on that principle. Hmm. Then I got out of that business, and the internet blew up. Everyone wanted to friend you, wanted to follow you, hmm. you know, wanted to connect with you. And soon you were being bombarded. and the number of, quote, friends you had was astronomical mm. versus our parents' generation. So that's when I took the principle that I applied to my business. I said, you know what? Not all friends are created equal. I used to run the frequent flyer program for Northwest Airlines, now Delta Airlines. And, you know, we had platinum members, gold members, silver members, because not all customers are the same. So you treat them differently. And all your friends aren't the same either. And so that's when I came up with this concept and I created the five circles of how you should define your friendships. Hmm. Mark, how long of an endeavor was this for you? From the time you got this idea, started writing it up until you published it? Well, you know, literally, my friends have probably gotten sick of me talking about it over dinner and lots of bottles of wine. <laughs> I pontificated about this idea. And every time the conversations became long conversations because people really understood the concept. Mm. And the ultimate question at the end of every one of these discussions, am I in your circle? Mm. So people took this very personally. They said, you know, I, I understand this whole concept of circles, but am I in your circle? It really kind of hit a real emotional tendon. So I just started, you know, I talked about the book for 15 years. <laughs> and then last January 1, I sat down, I had a friend of mine who has written seven books. And he said, Mark, just write the book. <laughs> and it was done in less than two months. It wrote itself because I've been thinking about it for so long that all I had to do was sit down at the computer and type out the words. <laughs> it just flowed onto the pages. It was really fun, fun experience. So this is your first book then? You've never been published before this one? 
No, no, I've, I've been published a lot of magazines and articles, Matt, about when I was in the loyalty, you know, running frequent flyer programs and mm-hmm. things like that. But no, no, I'd never done a book. I'm working on another book right now because that one was so fulfilling and so interesting. And I've had so much positive feedback because it makes people think. Mm. That's the one thing I can guarantee you. When you read this book, you will think about your friendships and the people who are important in your life in a whole different way. Mm. And it will be a kind of a realization that some of the people you thought were the ones that were your closest maybe aren't. And some of them that you took for granted didn't think they were that close. After you read my book, you can't imagine life without them. Mm. I know a lot of readers are going to be really into this book and should check it out. It's titled, So Who's in Your Circle? You Know Over 600 People, Find Your 25 Friends Who Matter Most. It's written by Mark Lasick, it's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and you can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Mark, thanks again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Likewise, Corey. Thank you for the opportunity. And any of you out there that are wanting to be authors, just go and do it. Time goes by so quickly. And if you have things to say, let the world know. The Otherworld Saga, Chains of Uncertainty. That's the new book. It just hit stores. It's written by M.S.A. Wilson. And the author, Matthew, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about this book. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Matthew, can you tell me what readers can expect when they open up the Otherworld Saga, Chains of Uncertainty? The book is about a young female protagonist named Quincy Harris. And the book itself, like the first few chapters, is set on the first day of the Blitz during September 7, 1940. Hmm. And this significant event plays a larger role in pushing the events of the uh, story forward. And the book itself is about 488 pages long. But the rapid pacing of the book allows the reader to enjoy the events of the plot to unfold as they happen without revealing what will occur for Quincy next or her friends who end up accompanying her on her journey on another planet. The unpredictability of the dangers she faces helps push past the constraints that might come with historical fiction, but also employs the feel of a fantasy adventure, which is heavily influenced by science fiction. Matthew, would you say that fans of sci-fi and fantasy then would be the ones who are really into this? Well, yeah, but also I feel like it would be directed towards preteens, teenagers, and young adults. Hmm. Matthew, you got to tell me, this is quite a story. How'd you come up with the idea? Well, when I was writing the book, it took me about two years and seven months. And at the time, I was also working as a security guard and uh, attending a vocational medical program. And I was also attending an online program to earn my bachelor's degree in English. I also rewrote the manuscript about seven times and then proofreaded it in that time period as well. But What led to me writing it was I really enjoyed reading fantasy and science fiction novels when I was a teenager, Mm. but also like with my own personal experiences, like some of the environments and settings in the story 
are unique, which may relate to my previous travels as a Boy Scout when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like I went to several national parks and hiked to different natural sites, which helped increase my own imagination when reading sci-fi and fantasy novels. So that unique interest I had kind of inspired me to write my own science fiction story as well. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time you've written or been published? Yeah. It's my first time publishing a novel. I felt like what I had with Fulton Books was suitable for my inexperience in publishing my first book. You got to tell me about the moment you got to hold your book for the first time, Matthew, when it came in. What was it like for you? It was actually really cool to see Mm -hmm. something that I wrote and to hold it in my hands is very humbling for me because I didn't think I would ever really be able to do something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, Matthew, I'm sure you learned an awful lot writing a book for the first time and going through that publishing process for the first time. So what advice would you have now for authors who are just starting out with things? Well, the details for publishing a book mainly go into how large of a budget you have and the terms of the publishing agreement you might have to hash out with a publishing company, which will determine how long it takes for a book to get published. Mm as well as like being able to know whether or not you'll hold on to the copyright of your story Mm. or if the publishing company itself retains the copyright and only reserves the right to sell and distribute the book for you. It would probably be within their best interest to hold on to the copyrights of their story. So once the contract with their current publishing company expires, let's like Let's say after a year or two, they can still publish that story with a new company if that need should arise. That's really important. That's great advice, Matthew. Yeah. I know a lot of my listeners are really going to be into this book. It's titled The Otherworld Saga, Chains of Uncertainty. It's written by M.S.A. Wilson. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can get it everywhere. Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Matthew, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about your work. I had a good time talking tonight. Yes, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.